Give us some men who know the truth. And who will declare the truth. And who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards. And who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm serious. It is that time. I know you have forgotten about us because we haven't been here for so long, but sometimes right. life happens. It does. Yes, and the, well, you, you heard it. I said we, didn't I? Yep. You know what that means. It means I'm over here. It means Lou is over there. Hey, guys. And we are here to tell you, bah humbug. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> uh, excuse me. It is going to be an interesting evening. This is either going to be the worst thing we have ever attempted or the greatest episode we have ever recorded. There is no in-between here. I'm thoroughly convinced of it. Why? <laughs> Normally, okay, let's... There's let, no notes. <laughs> let's give you a look behind the curtain and a view into Oz. 
<laughs> not the prison, like the the Neverland place with. Um... Oh, that's funny. You see, that was the one on HBO, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. I've never actually seen an episode of it, but because I absorb all things pop culture, I know about it. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, it wasn't a very nice. No, show. I from what I know, it, yeah, it involved it all sorts of things that shouldn't be mentioned ever anywhere. So right. So here's your peek behind the curtain. Typically, for an episode of this, I do minutes and minutes of research, assembling a topic, finding an article, mm-hmm. thinking through what scripture reference would go with it, and I put it on a little sheet. I have the little intro. I have the things that we've learned here today, children's segment, already written out. And then there's a uh, news story that's attached to it. There is sometimes even a worked-out devotional. Not always, but sometimes. And that way we have a general idea of what we're doing from the start. There's nothing in front of me. I'm not really good at ad hoc. (laughs) There's nothing in front of me. Lou is drowning in the corner. We don't know what's going on. As Bill Murray said, cats and dogs are living together. But (laughs) I have an idea that is about 64% formed. Okay. So we're going to go with that idea and just see what happens. You guys are getting a good look at the inside of his mind today, so take notes. <laughs> so, okay. This, if I'm going to lay down a scriptural principle of which we're going to operate from, it is going to be an Advent principle. And it'll be the principle that we're going to be looking at on Sunday morning, which should be the Sunday of joy for Advent. Christians are called to live in joy. Was that First Thessalonians five, Philippians four, um, John sixteen, which is the text we'll have on Sunday, the command to be joyful, because of who Christ is, what He has accomplished. This is a hallmark of the Christian life. I like how you work that hallmark. You see that? Part see of, what yeah. I did there? Yes. There you go. <laughs> hallmark. <laughs> my daughter is now becoming obsessed with those movies. Oh wow! She's becoming a chick, like right before my eyes. She's ten now. <laughs> Until they're about 12, they're not chicks. They're just girls. Yeah. But she's now becoming she's a chick. Transforming. She's transforming. She is right before my... Every once in a while, we'll be running late for something because my wife is taking too long to get ready. And my daughter will be on the couch like, why does mommy take so long? I'm like, you two will be a woman one day. And you two will have a man sitting on the couch waiting for you to get ready. <laughs> Things to look forward to. <laughs> she's like, no, I won't. But yes. she's still a good shot. And so is your wife. There so you that, that makes everything better. And she looks at me and goes, no, I won't be like this. Yes, you will. You're a woman. You can't help yourself. You will be like this one day. And and I can see the process happening right before my eyes, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. <laughs> it is the way of nature. It is how God has designed those critters. Therefore, it is what it is. And of all people, I understand. I, I raised six daughters to see? adulthood. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. You have seen that, and you're just like, oh, lost another one. It's <laughs> terrible. Now, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. We have joy in spite of women making us late. There we go. There it is. <laughs> See, you, you brought right on back around. He's got a knack for that. See, it's what I do. Just when we're, we're off in the weeds and I think there's just no return, there's something that he says that brings it all right back. See, it's my spiritual gift. It's what I do. <laughs> so we are called to live with joy in this world. Now, that is more and more difficult as the world seemingly has less and less joy. However... There is something that should spur us to both hope and action because, Christian, you are not without the basis for either. Mm. And the reason why I say bah humbug is because I think you can actually trace the loss of Christian culture in the world through looking at its popular culture. Does that make sense? Oh, that's that's, that's 
that's pretty interesting because I was thinking that too. All right, hold I on. I mean, one. you can trace it all the way through. Is it too warm in here for you now? Yes, that space heater. I'm just going to start to cook it a bit. If you get cold, let me know. We'll pop it back on. No, I'm good now. The toasty little fireplace has been turned off. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. Think through basic cultural ideas. So in order for a culture to produce, let me rephrase that. In order for a society to produce a culture, that society has to have a sufficient amount of resources and leisure time. And what I mean, when I say culture, I mean art, song, um, literature, things like that. You have, somebody's got to have some free time to do all this stuff. Renaissance, huh? Like if you're sitting around trying not to starve to death, you're not writing sonnets, you're not composing Christmas carols, you're not doing, you know, the great works of American literature. It just doesn't happen. You have to have a certain level of prosperity in order for those things to occur. And you can see that, actually, in world history. You mentioned the Renaissance. Well, I don't think it's any coincidence that the Renaissance comes after an economic boom that comes after the Great Mortality. So, for those of you that don't follow world history, the Black Death. Right. So, Black Death comes through, wipes out 30 to 60% of Europe, depending on who you ask. If you were in some urban centers, it was higher than 50-60%. Oh, yeah. What that accomplished, though, now I'm not rooting for this by any stretch of the imagination, but what that accomplished was it reordered society and economic impact. So if you were a merchant and you survived, well, half your competition didn't. There's a whole lot less competition for the spice trade, for shipping goods internationally, for even shipping goods locally. Yeah. There was more access to tillable land for the peasants. There was an economic boom that came in the preceding decades now by the way if you ever want to know just how big of a deal that act that death was do realize it took until i want to say the last time i looked at this the 18th century before the european population recovered yeah from my readings in 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 undergraduate school uh i mean whole towns yeah were, were decimated and nobody left to bury anybody but that's how t- bad it got when you talk about european population <clears throat> like the european population in the 13 in like 1345 mm-hmm. it took until like 1720 before europe re, uh, to regain that level of population that's how many people died and how long it took oh, yeah, it, it was, was brutal yeah but with that you see the renaissance come about is that economic impact rises you begin to see an increase in literature an increase in art if you think through Think through some of the popular cultural things you see that come out of Western Europe today. So let's focus in on Christmas. You ready? Mm-hmm. When do all the modern notions of the Christmas tradition come from? They come out of European culture when? Typically around the middle of the 19th century. Yeah, I was going to say it's just relatively recent. It's yeah. not something you can trace all the way back. 1850s, 1860s, mm-hmm. 1870s. Now, why would that sort of thing come about then? Industrial Revolution. You have an increase in income, you have an increase in prosperity, but you also have a decrease in home life. You've gone from a lot of people making a living off of the land to people making a living in factories. You have the degradation of the, uh, I don't want to say paternalistic system, but you have a degradation of the familial system, living on the farm, successive generations working together. Yeah, more people are moving to different areas and sharing their culture too, I think. It's it's a big one too. But also with that, so why do you invent traditions about Santa? Why do you invent traditions about 
the meanings of these things because you're trying to create a cultural fabric that will hold things together when the natural means, the family unit, multiple generations living together, is beginning to be broken down. Mm. Case in point, when do you see that stuff begin to take off in American culture? Think through. So we're going to focus on music here. So think through Christmas songs that you know and love that you grew up with as a kid. I'm not talking about church songs. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about secular culture here. Things like Frosty and Rudolph and White Christmas. When do all of those songs come about? The stories that predate the songs are typically 1930s, 1940s. The songs are 1940s, 1950s. What do those those ideas have in common? The stories come about at a time of economic depression. When the societal fabric is breaking down and you're trying to build things that will help hold the fabric of society together. Yeah, you mentioned something... uh... Last Sunday, you were talking about the little drummer boy and Bob Seger. That is, I love the little drummer boy, but like you, I, I think Bob Seger does it the best for me. I, I love the way. He and does you're going it. with secular versions now. If you want the like the ultimate ultimate version, you need to look up the version that's done by for King and Country. For King and Country, awesome, awesome version. Okay, but yeah, but all of those songs, if you look at them, all of those songs come about. Not immediately following the traditions. The traditions come about in the 30s and early 40s. The songs come about in the late 40s, early 50s, and then moving forward. Why? The stories are part of the holding of the cultural fabric together. The songs come about as a means of celebration. Late 1940s, early 1950s, that's economic prosperity in the United States. The Great War is over. People are... They have, they have income. Life is good. This is where we get the baby boom. Mm. Why is there a baby boom? Because people are at home making money. Mm. And when people are at home making money, you know what they do next? They make babies. They make babies. Yeah. That's how the society functions. <laughs> That's just how it works. Yeah, it, boomers. It is what it is. Not to mention the economic prosperity leads to techno- technological innovation that allows more children to live. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So there's part of the reason there's a baby boom is not just because more of them were born, but because more of them survived being born, right. which was a big deal. So, okay, why do I point all that out? Because if you go back and look at those songs from the 40s and 50s and even into the early 60s, I want you to notice something about them. Now, now stop and think about them. Things like, again, I'm not talking about the theological benefits of them. Santa Claus has come into town. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Frosty the Snowman. Um, White Christmas. What's that That Home for the Holidays song where the guys talk about people traveling around? Be home for Christmas. Yeah. Even if they're slower songs, they are hopeful. Mm -hmm. They're celebratory. They're happy. It's a holiday. People are getting together with family and friends. And even the songs that are, again, more mellow, where you you can picture yourself listening to them by the fireplace with your your shoes off and drinking a cup of coffee. They're still joyous songs. Why? Because society was joyous. Mm -hmm. Now, why was society joyous? Because its outlook on life was, at its core, based on a Christian ideal. Mm -hmm. And it was celebrating the accomplishments of that Christian ideal. I mean, if you come right down to it. Yeah. Remember, when we talk about Christian ideal, case in point. Remember, Western Europe literally took a break during World War I to celebrate Christmas. Like, they stopped shooting at each other to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, I think I remember reading something about like that. Like, the English and the French on one side and the Germans on the other be like, um, time out, mm-hmm. Merry Christmas, like, here, have a drink, we'll eat some K-ration or whatever, and, and yeah. we'll shoot at each other tomorrow. Right, that was a big deal. Now, why? Because that was the underlying cultural understanding of that world. Fast forward to World War II. 
Nazi society is not a Christian society. Right. It's an anti-Christian society. I won't say it's anti-Christ because then people will be like, oh, it's the beast. And then, it's not what I'm talking about. I mean, it's a... Well, that's where my mind is. <laughs> you couldn't help yourself, <laughs> could you? Was it the beast or the dragon? <laughs> or maybe it was the woman riding. No, it, no, that's not what we mean. We mean it's anti-Christian. It is against the things of the gospel. Told you this is not going to go well. Oh my goodness. So the, the world defeating that looked at a cause for celebration. The other reason you have cause for celebration in the 50s is we're not Russia. Right. We're not the Soviet Union. We're not suffering under the, the burdens of communism. We're not seeing those things. We have reasons to celebrate. We've won. This is good. Now, I tell you that because purely observational, although I do have one case study that I want to look at. Okay. So purely observational. Why is it when those songs all get remade, they lose the joy? Well, I think we're. I think you you hit on it earlier. It's is as our culture is changing, I think our values change, and and it's directly reflected in our music and in our and our the things that we do for pastime stuff. You know that we don't do for work. Yeah. So I think I think we're seeing reflections of society's uh, um, angst, if you will. You know, with everything. And, and by the way, do this for yourself. Go conduct your research. Like, go buy three Michael Bublé albums because that's all apparently he does anymore is Christmas music. But yeah, he's he's the he's this generation's crooner. Mm. Like every generation has one. So in like the fifties, sixties, and seventies, it was well in the fifties and sixties it was Frank Sinatra, and then like in the sixties and seventies it was Dean Martin. And if you remember, in the eighties and nineties we had Harry Connick Jr. And now they have the Bublé. Okay, I see him now. I, I'm just trying to. Re- I am terrible with names and faces. Yeah. I remember though. But he's redoing all. He's he's put out like 19 Christmas albums. I'm convinced of it. Right. Because like every third song on the radio station is his, but they're all slower, and they all have this melancholy feel to it. And right. some of that is the crooneriness of it. You know, the yeah. crooneriness of it. But. Dean Martin managed to sing all of these songs and not sound sad. Yeah, I, I just looked up a list for songs in the 30s and 40s Christmas songs, and you've got Ben Crosby, mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra, what else? Nat King Cole. I love that. I yeah, love remember him. Dean Martin did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in his yeah, gangster crooner style, <laughs> and he literally calls him uh, Rudy the... What does he call him? Rudy the Red... Uh, what's the name for... He gives a name for the nose. Oh, I don't it's know. It's not schnoz, but it's something like that. Oh, okay. Beaked. He called him Beaked. Rudy the Red Beaked Reindeer. That's what he calls him in the song. Is it Rudy the Red Beaked Reindeer? I mean, it's like... <laughs> you can see him's in there snapping, holding a martini. And yeah, singing yeah, it. with a zoot suit or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, you can picture it in your mind. He managed to sing these songs with, in a crooner style without being depressing. Why can't Buble do it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think... And here was my case study, and I dropped this one on you before we started, so I'm going to use it now. 1993, there are two—well, there's probably more than two, but here's the two main ones. In 1993, two main female-led vocals released Christmas songs. One you know, everybody knows, is the Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, because they keep playing it until the end of time. Mm -hmm. The other is from an act that was just as big as Mariah Carey was in 1993, which was Wilson Phillips— and they did Hey Santa. Now, why has one become like the staple of Christmas to the point that Mariah Carey tried to have herself trademarked as like the bringer of Christmas or something, or queen of Christmas or something like that? Oh, funny. And the other one is basically an afterthought that people change the channel on. Like, what's what's the difference? 
because I was listening to one of them today and it made me think. So I went and dug up the lyrics because I apparently have that kind of time. <laughs> For which one? For both of them. Okay. So I went and looked through it and I double checked myself before I said this out loud. So I want to make sure I, I made sure I, I did. I did. I did research. <laughs> Aren't you proud? All I want for Christmas is a woman singing about hope for her boyfriend, husband, whatever he happens to be. It's 2022. Her significant other. <laughs> In whatever binary he wishes to attach himself to. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yeah, I know it. Hey, Santa is a song about a woman singing for Santa to bring her her significant other. Mm-hmm. So they are both songs by women hoping that their man will show up for Christmas. Why is our culture kept the one where he doesn't show up? Because that's Hey Santa ends with the dude knocking on the door and the end of the song is Thank you Santa because you heard me and now I'm kissing my baby under the mistletoe. That's the end of the song. We kept the one as a cultural icon where she's like please bring my baby home. Why do we do that? Man. When we talk about the corruption of sin the destruction of culture. This is the type of thing I'm talking about. Right. The example I used, on, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday School on Sunday, which we don't record that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. We go off the rails all the time, don't we? But it's usually pretty good. It's helpful. Yeah. And this idea struck in my head on Sunday because of a religious song, mm-hmm. Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Now, you all know that song, and if you don't, shame. Yes, yeah, go For up shame. now. Yeah. Oh Come All Ye Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm not singing it, I don't know the words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm trying to spare you my singing it. Even if you want to slow the song down, it is a triumphant song. Literally, joyful and triumphant. It is a victorious song. It is celebrating the goodness and the greatness of all that is Christ and what he has done and what the incarnation at Advent meant. Mm-hmm. So there's all your theological terms dumped in one sentence. Aren't you happy? There was a version of it being played and Cameron looked it up and told me it was the Amy Grant version. Now, now, this is not a commentary on Amy Grant. You can think of her whatever you want. You can love her music. You can hate her music. You can love her. You can hate her. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It just struck me as I was listening to the Amy Grant version of O Come All You Faithful that it wasn't just slow. It was sad. And I think that also came out early 90s. It might have come out in 1993, too. What happened in 1993? <laughs> Bill Clinton, that's what did it. Well, all I can remember is 88 reasons why the rapture is going to happen, and then... But remember, then there was 89 reasons why it was going to be in 1989. So I'm trying to think about what would have happened in the 90s. You know what happened in the 90s? What was it? The 90s became the 70s. What I mean by that, okay, let's look at the culture again. You ready? Because I think there's cultural parallels. And this is helpful, Christian, because you need to think about these things as you live in the world. So we mentioned all these helpful, uplifting, joyful Christmas songs in the 40s and 50s, a time of celebration, right? A time of culture advancing, you know, let the good times roll. And I don't even know who's saying that off the top of my head right now. But what happens after that? The kids that come out of that are what? They're the counterculture of the 60s and the 70s. You see that joyousness turned into fighting against whatever. Now, some of that is because our government and governments everywhere do what they always do, which is take advantage of the goodwill that is built up during the good times and abuse the tar out of it. Right. So you had the loss of innocence with the deaths of JFK and RFK and MLK. Martin Luther King. Yeah. yeah, if you have a K in the last name, you didn't want to live in the 60s in the public eye, apparently. That's funny. <laughs> so you had what's referred to as the loss of innocence during that time. You okay. have the Vietnam War. You have the counterculture. You have all of those things. 
the flip side of that comes out of the prosperous and prosperousness of the 80s like why were we able to produce hair metal in the 80s think about that i gotta turn the heater back up so hold on yeah, I remember that. I mean, a lot of my my cousins, a lot of my wife's cousins, man, you should have seen their hair. It's like a whole can of spray. But why? <laughs> think through what the cultural world of hair metal, and I'm serious about this. Think through what the cultural world of hair metal was. If you, I mean, what was their world? We're drinking, we're doing drugs, we're sleeping with groupies. And then when we go to the next city, you know what we're going to do? The same thing. The same thing. And we go to the next city. It was an entire life built around excess. It was loud. It was in your face. It was over the top. I mean, it was everything that a culture that is built upon prosperity and good times is meant to be. It's a reaction. Yeah, one of the bands that come to my mind is Megadeth. You know what I mean? Just thinking about what you're saying and processing that, and it's like, wow, our culture was was starting to get a little darker back then too. In beginning, so, but even <clears> then, <throat> though, if you think about who the when you tell when you ask people about the enduring bands of the '80s, they would give you things like Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. Bon Jovi, Poison, Cinderella. Yeah, these are all bands that are just. Out there, over the top, spandex, hairspray, again. Mm-hmm. You know, a different chick, multiple different chicks in every city, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Now, musically, what did that eventually produce? What was the what was the pop culture reaction? Grunge. Mm-hmm. Grunge, why? Yeah, I, you're right. Because we reacted against that, and we said, I hate you, and I hate everything, and life is miserable, and we all want to die now. And there's your Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, that entire generation. Now, sorry. This is, this is so nostalgic for me. You're, you're mentioning you're all these bands, and I'm like, wow. Now, yeah. I point that out because now when you start looking at what does that produce at a time where we should be joyous, it becomes whining. It becomes longing. There's a different mindset. The way theological books always put this is a zeitgeist has changed. The perception of the world from the people in it is different. They don't want to celebrate. Even when they want to celebrate, they don't actually want to celebrate. I mean, one of the great examples is Pearl Jam. um, Eddie Vedder used to go to concerts and like scream at the crowd to stop singing. Yeah, I remember that. Because the music wasn't for them. It was for him. It's like, dude, they've made you rich beyond your wildest dreams. Your great-great-grandkids will never have to work again. Shut up and sing Jeremy. (laughs) Right. And when they sing along, enjoy it. He couldn't. He physically and mentally and emotionally could not do that. Yeah, what a snob. Well, yeah, but because why? Because he doesn't want to be happy even when he is trying to be happy. It seems like, you know, some of the biggest name people found their doom, you know, the grunge. Yeah. You know, drugs and some people got shot and just, you know, died in some very strange ways. But Well, because, again, it's a strange and bizarre world, and it's a world that is lived on a foundation of shifting sand. Yeah. Drowning Pool is one of them. Yeah, there you go. Super... ironic that he drowned <laughs> himself he really? yes he he overdosed and drowned in his sleep i would laugh at that but it's actually not funny but, it is you know, not, yeah but it, isn't it ironic it is don't you think sorry yeah <laughs> sing it alanis morissette yeah <laughs> 
there's another one. But again, I when I bring this back to Christmas music, what struck me is that as I've been listening to it, because again, this is what I do in December, as we drive, as we're driving around, I just have it on the Christmas songs. I can tell the different eras that the songs were written in based on the joy that is behind the songs. Mm. Now, what does that tell me about our culture at large? That our culture is miserable and helpless. Which we knew that, mm-hmm. but the veneer of it is lifted entirely. I mean, let's let's be honest. Anybody confusing Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin for paragons of Christian virtue? Definitely not. No, not even a little bit. No. And yet they could sing Christmas songs with some joy and some happiness. Why? Because there was a general culture influenced by the gospel that held on to its vestiges and hopes. As the, as the decades have progressed, that's gone, to the point that even some of the Christmas songs have lost it. I mean, case in point. Uh, Polar Express. <laughs> My son loves the Polar Express. He's obsessed with trains. We, I was just yeah, going to say we, trains, right? <laughs> we bought the DVD. He yeah. loves it. We watch it every year at Christmas. We have this list of Christmas movies we watch every year. It's on the list. That's the one with Tom Hanks as the yes, conductor. As, as, oh, as like eight people in that movie. Yeah. He's the conductor. He's Santa Claus. He's the dad at the beginning. He's oh, wow. the kid when he grows up. He's, um, oh, shoot, who else is he? I think he's actually the ghost on the top of the train. He's Tom Hanks is like the whole movie. Except the kids and okay. Aerosmith. Okay. <laughs> and yes, Aerosmith is in there. Remember, they're the band of elves at the North Pole. I'm going to have to see. I haven't seen it in a very long time. There are two big songs in that. One is Aerosmith's version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town that they play when they're up at the North Pole. Yeah. You've never heard that on the radio. It's upbeat. It's happy. It's joyful. It's everything Santa Claus is Coming to Town is supposed to be, regardless of how you feel about Santa Claus. What's the famous song from that movie? That depressingly slow hopeful wishes upon a star song that the kid sings at the back of the train it's depressing mm-hmm. it's sad i don't care what the message of the song actually is it sounds depressing and sad right it's sung by a kid who doesn't think christmas is real and knows he's not getting anything because his parents are broken he lives on the wrong side of the tracks mm-hmm. that's the song that becomes famous from that movie right what is it then what does that tell you about our culture now okay no hope right why do we care why do we care okay Here's where we actually make some sense of things. I've made a compelling case, I think. If I haven't, you're allowed to send me angry emails or carrier pigeon messages, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, we'll eat the pigeons. Yes. I'm dying on this hill. Yeah. I'm absolutely dying on this hill. <laughs> but what it tells me is that, Christian, it's easier to win now. And I'm serious about that. Mm. I've actually said this for several years that the dying of the fake Christianity in the culture is actually a good thing. Because as someone who spent 25 years in the Bible Belt, and it is depressing that I'm old enough to say that out loud, not in ministry, but, you know, living there, spent a quarter of a century living in the Bible Belt, and I spent, oh my goodness, a decade and a half doing ministry Mm -hmm. in that same Bible Belt. It's hard because everybody's air quotes a christian everybody is why because grandma's been at that church down the street for thirty-seven thousand years and when that kid was six grandma made a point to drive over to the house and pick that kid up every sunday mm-hmm. and drag him to sunday school so that by the by the by, by about the time they were eight dunked him in the water by the time they were 10 they never stepped foot in a church again but they're a member and they're a christian 
Yeah, that's a, you just described the battle that a lot of grandparents have, even today. But that's that's the culture there. Now, mm-hmm. what makes that difficult is I have to convince you of what's broken about you before I can convince you that Christ can put it back together. Because you don't actually understand who you are and who Christ is. As the cultural veneer goes away, there are fewer of those kids. And that's a good thing. Because they're actually easier to reach when they start from a neutral position than when they start from a what they think is a positive position. That's a good point. Because I'm now because when they start when they think they're in a positive position, I now have to fight against and try to undo a lot of good nostalgia. And if you think the enemy is incapable of using good nostalgia of church memories to corrupt a heart and mind, then you don't know how good the enemy is at his job. Because he will take that and use it as a means of convincing and make it so that any argument to the contrary or any argument that tells you you must be born again as an argument that grandma did something wrong. Go start telling these kids that grandma did something wrong. Mm. Uh-huh. You just, yeah, you, 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 you can see that yeah. fight coming a mile away, can't you? For sure. For sure. As the veneer of Christianity is being stripped away and as the vestiges of the cultural versions of Christianity are torn down, the church actually is strengthened and put into a positive position if, if the church is willing to take up that mantle and say we actually stand for something that is objective and verifiable and solid and true Mm -hmm. which means christian now here's where it gets fun you ready because i'm not going to do that thing where i say it's all the church's fault the church didn't do this and the church didn't do that okay when i say the church must take that stand how pray tell does the church do that because the lie that we again bought into particularly in the 90s and early 2000s was Well, we need a program. We need to start a ministry. We need to have this outreach. That's not how the church gets things done. The church gets things done when the people in the church get things done. Discipling, yeah. The church takes a stand when the people in the church take their stand in the world in which they live. Right. Each person i mean i think people are really looking for some charismatic figure to come out of the woodwork somewhere and just start a revival Mm -hmm. and they don't recognize how powerful their jobs are or how powerful they could be in the societies that they live in if they took a stand like you just said each one and here's my case in point again yeah so go back to those older christmas songs that we were i'm not celebrating is not the right word why do you like them I mean, if you like them, you can, like, I don't even like them that much. I enjoy listening to them in December. Why? It reminds you of another time, right? Because they're joyful. Yeah. Because they're celebratory. You can't be in a, even as, even if they're secular, you can't be in a bad mood. I mean, unless you really want to and you're just a miserable sack of humanity, but that's a you problem. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're allowed, but that's a you problem. Right. I mean, it puts you in a frame of mind that you wish to celebrate. It's why the Israelites would sing psalms when heading to Jerusalem for the festivals. It's a celebratory thing. It's like, how would celebrating the death of the Egyptians put them in a good mood? I I, I think for me, for me, um, man. How do I put this? I, I think I don't think we should wait till December to celebrate the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think for me, when I hear that kind of music, I, it, it 
it, you're right. It does. It makes you want to be joyful. And I think our mm-hmm. job as believers is to be joyful and remember our Lord and his sacrifice and go and make disciples of, of the nations. And that That's... starts with an evaluation <clears throat> of your heart, a renewing of your mind, and then a going out and actually living like it. Right. With the recognition. See, this is this is what I want to help you with. Okay. All right. We focus on the culture is depressed and culture is depressing and the world is, you know, swirling the drain and blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes. I'm not arguing. Look, I'm not going to try to convince you that that's not true because I've been saying that's true for over a decade and people are just starting to catch up to me and my pessimism. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What that means, though, is that your light shines brighter. It needs to. Your well, not that it, 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 it just flat out does. Yeah. The little bit of work that we do day by day shines even brighter. Don't focus on the fact that they're circling the drain. Focus on the fact that you have the message and the means by which that they are rescued and saved. Yeah, we can change this. That we are actually a light in the darkness. That as the world gets darker, as the vestiges of Christianity are dying, your true message that you carry actually will bear more weight because it is not competing as much with a similar lie. That is empty and vacant. I, I think we see this pattern throughout the scriptures. You know, um, during times of great persecution, when people seemingly should be their saddest, there was revival going on. The, the, the gospel was spreading. Believers were, I mean, they were adding to the church, thousands of them each day. So... I, I think we're. I think what you're saying is we're in a very good position to share our faith with people, and it's going to be very well received. Because again, where else is the hope in this world? Right. There's no hope outside outside of our. And again, our you Lord. can see that in yeah. the culture. So again, so Christian, why do we care? Don't just see the culture and bemoan the brokenness of the culture. Yes, the culture is broken. But that shouldn't just be a mark to you to start mourning. That should be a mark to you to start rejoicing that one you have been redeemed out of this mess two you have actually been empowered for this time like why are you here and i mean that like why weren't you born during the black death why weren't you born during the renaissance who made that decision i think god did well god did yeah so you were put here you were put here and now now which means you have been strengthened empowered and prepared by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the pres- preparation and the providence of God and who you are and who you have been and how you have been raised and how you have lived in this world, so that you will do the work in this world. Yeah. Now, listen to the songs. Rejoice in them. Celebrate. But recognize that's also not the world we're clinging to. Mm-hmm. We're clinging to a world that is to come. And that reminder of what has been lost should be a spur to action that we will rejoice when the things that we have lost in this world are gained in eternity. Mm. And in the meantime, how now do we live? We live faithfully, we live hopefully, we live joyfully, and we live knowingly, knowing that the same work that has been accomplished is the same work that will be accomplished as the gospel message is proclaimed. And again, as dark as the world may seem to be and as upset and depressed and sad as they might happen to be, they can be one because God can conquer and overcome anything. For sure. And therefore, again, our light shines even brighter. So have fun. Oh, I just looked at the timer. We're actually doing fairly well today. Yeah, we did. We did pretty good. So again, we don't have a sheet for this. So, okay. 
Is there anything we've missed? Did we get off on a tangent somewhere that we didn't cover this? Because again, there was no rhyme or reason. We were this was a rambling run through. No, I don't think we did. I think we right. brought it right back full circle. So can we recap this? So Christmas songs are messed up when they're done after 1993. Mm. <laughs> Good recap. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Why? Because culture is messed up and because culture is continuing its downward slide because its anchor that any false hope that it held in Christianity has been severed. It has been right. left to its own devices. Therefore, it is going off the rails on a crazy train. Oh, Ozzy. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <clears throat> What's the cure? The cure is not nostalgia. The cure is Christ. Hmm. While we are spurred to joy and happiness by the nostalgia that we get for the simpler and seemingly more hopeful times, they should not be the thing that we long for. They should be markers that point us to the hope that we have in Christ. All right, so I think I can recap this now. You ready? All what right. have we learned here today, children? The world is messed up. Hmm. Christ has overcome the world. And as you live, you need to live grounded in him. Make nice. sense? Nice, real nice. All right. Yep. Enjoy your Christmas music. Enjoy your life. We will attempt to be back to regularly scheduled program. You should be happy. You should be happy. I had something that was so depressing <laughs> and so messed up that we were we put it back a week so that we could have this happy Christmas conversation with you. So next week there will be a pop quiz. All right. You are being put on notice. There will be a pop quiz because I have like eight stories that all relate to the same topic. And rather than try to cover them individually, we're just going to lump them all together. I'm going to need like spreadsheets and charts. I'm going to look like that dude in that meme with the <laughs> with the strings and everything. But yeah. we're going to give you a, a pop quiz on how you react to the culture and how it is attacking you with these things and why you react in the way that you do. So you have been prepared. You've been warned. Go prepare as best you can. That'll be what we do next week. All right. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.